Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I'm really looking forward to having a really fun and special person with me, J.G. Goldberg. Welcome, J.G. What's going on? I was going to say, this, you have this special person coming. I'm like, oh, is he after me? Or is this... So <laughs> thank you for saying that that's me. That's amazing. <laughs> well, you are special and you are fun. And that's one of the things I value so much about you. Uh, JG, interestingly, was a, a tech geek in the IT world who transitioned to becoming an entrepreneur. And he is someone I've known for a number of years now. I've been coached by him very powerfully. And I also uh, was a part of one of his courses called um, Playful Prosperity. And you can guess by the title that we had a lot of fun there also. And he is the author of the best-selling book, Prison Break, and he's developed other courses geared to help coaches, speakers, consultants, others who develop courses to become more effective attracting your ideal clients in a way that is fun and less painful. So I'm very happy to have you here today, JG, to tell us more about how to make that happen. Uh, because so often people who start their own business are excited and motivated, and yet they run across these challenges of how do I get my clients? So before we jump into some of the questions I have for you today, tell us a little bit about your own journey into the world of becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I came out of the womb and I had a, a list of clients ready to work with me and it's kind of been easy ever since. Uh, I don't know, I don't understand why people say they struggle getting clients. People just throw money at me all day, every day and they never have to worry about it. Uh, and, and then and then the alcohol wears off and I come back to reality. So um, so yeah, so, so my journey, um, I started, as you said, I, I was in tech for a number of years. I was in tech for 15 years and was really, really good at it. I love the, the challenge of technology. I'm a total geek at heart. I think I always will be. Uh, I just love to, to see the way things work and reverse engineer them and all that stuff. And so I got into technology from a very early age and was able to really capitalize on that. It's obviously, you know, 15 years ago, just as much as it is today, is, is a huge industry. And, uh, and I got into IT consulting. For the last seven years of my IT career, I was in IT consulting, uh, became the director of engineering and operations for a tech firm based in Florida. So I, I, I grew up, I was born and raised in Florida. And, uh, and that was great. And, and, you know, doing all the things, making, you know, well over six figures in my 20s, the youngest director in the history of the company, you know, having, you know, the car and the house and all the things that I, I thought I wanted that would make me happy. And I wasn't in a place of despair with my job. I don't have that story where I was like, I was living paycheck to paycheck or like, I don't have any of that, but you don't have to have that to feel like something massively needs to change in your life, right? You don't have to be dire straits one week away from being homeless for you to realize something's not really aligning. So as, as much as I loved the challenge of being in IT and as much as I love the money in being in IT, there was something that was missing. And when I started looking into that more, I noticed that from a very, very young age, I had always had entrepreneurial tendencies. 
Uh, I, from my very first business that I can really truly remember is when I was about 10 years old, I was huge into baseball cards and basketball cards and things like that. And I would, I would, I would make my mom buy, well, I'd make my mom, I would, I would try to convince my mom to buy me uh, packs of baseball cards and basketball cards. And then I would also have her buy me the Beckett manual and the Beckett manual. I don't even know if it's still around anymore. The Beckett manual was a monthly magazine that came out that gave you the, the, the price the, the dollar, the monetary value for every baseball card, basketball card, football card for 20 years. Do you know, have you heard about this? No. Okay. No. So, but it was, it was like a physical book that came out every month with like updated pricing. So my mom would buy me these, these packs of baseball cards. I would go through and one by one, I would see what they were worth. And the ones that were worth the most, I would put into a little plastic sleeve to protect them. I bought like a $5 briefcase from a garage sale. And every weekend I would go around and I would sell the most, you know, wanted the most uh, uh, sought after cards to kids in the neighborhood. And their parents loved it because the parents were like, cool, I can just buy him the card he wants instead of buying him 20 packs of cards that are going to cost me way more. They loved it, right? So as Gary Vee would call it, I was doing arbitrage at that point. And there was something about having that direct connection with people, one-to-one. I didn't have the language for it as a 10 or 11-year-old, but you know, serving people and feeling like you're contributing and bringing happiness, bringing joy to people's lives. That was something that I, I did from a very young age, whether it was in that business or it was being like a class clown. Like I just, I loved the effect that it had on people when I would show up in a place of joy and playfulness. So going back to the tech thing, did the tech thing for all this, these years, realized something was missing, kind of created the connection there. Oh, I really want to be working for myself. I want to create something that, that's mine and that serves instead of creating something that's for somebody else that also hopefully serves. And so I left my uh, corporate job in 2011, started a, uh, a, um, a transportation company, executive transportation company, which was super fun and failed miserably after I lost tens of thousands of dollars, but learned so much in that process. Started another company after that while I was doing my MBA uh, in partnership with NASA and the space shuttle program, which was absolutely amazing and it's such a, an honor that I got to work with them. Um, and from there, the common thread through all of that was I really love personal growth. I, I had gotten into personal growth around 2011 because uh, at the height of my professional career, I was also 332 pounds and extremely anxious and extremely depressed and, and, and had so much just stress and, and, as, and as happy and joyful as I was on the outside, I was struggling a lot inside. A lot of it was because of the physical weight I was carrying around, but it was also just my thinking was just running my life. My, my thoughts would run so fast and they would just, they would show me catastrophic images of the future and I just could never feel relaxed and I could never feel grounded. I was always kind of chaotic in, in my mind. And so personal growth and, and, and self-help, diving into that and then being coached to myself and, and being a part of that world transformed me or facilitated that transformation for me in such a way that at some point, even in the traditional companies I had started, I started asking myself, how can I get paid to keep learning all this stuff that feels like it's transformative for me, but also to help other people do the same. And so in the same way that probably almost every single person listening to this did not wake up one day uh, in high school and say, I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to be a consultant. You do other things. And then life shows you your path based on the choices you've already made that's what happened to me. And I kind of tripped, stumbled and fell into coaching, speaking, training and all that about almost six years ago now. Mm. So you work really with folks that are in that field now helping them and you know what it's like because you have been there yourself. <clears throat> I think you started with one-on-one -on -one folks that you coached, right? And then now you've expanded to group 
programs, online programs, or a hybrid of the two. And one of the things um, I'm curious about, because I know there are lots of other programs out there, and you've expressed concerns about some of those that promise big things to these service professionals, but then fall short. What are you seeing as the shortfalls in programs like that? What are they promising but not delivering? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think I like to think I have no clue if this is true. I like to think that the the vast majority of people who are creating group coaching programs or courses or whatever are well intentioned and, and they actually do want to help people. The challenge is, <clears throat> and this is why I think a lot of people that I, I talk to that say they hate marketing, it's because marketing has gotten a bad name because marketing has now become how do I convince people to buy my thing by making lofty promises that do not take into account the effect that, or, or, or sorry, the, the work that this person will put in, the experience they have, the background they have, the, all these other variables that are in place. And so instead they default to messages like make six figures in six weeks or sign your first client in five days. And it's like that stuff's all great and all lofty and it works to get people in the door unfortunately it lacks so much integrity that it then actually hurts the rest of the industry because then when people then want to invest in something that actually could help them, they're so jaded by it or worse, worse than being jaded Meredith. Like one of the worst things in the world is that people taking a program that doesn't actually help them and then thinking, Oh, it means there's something wrong with me. Like I'm not cut out for this. I freaking hate that. Like that's so, I, it really sucks to think that because something's not, is not a right fit for you that you then judge yourself that you're not, that you're not cut out for it. So, so anything that we set out to do as a company, it's very, very important to us. Integrity is like my number one core value. Well, enthusiasm is my number one core state of being, but as far as, as far as values are concerned, it really is integrity. And so we try to operate with the highest level of integrity that we can. And so does that mean sometimes we just don't talk about money at all? Like about people making more money? Sure. That's fine with me. We had somebody in our program actually a couple of weeks ago that said one of the reasons they joined our program is because none of our marketing stuff talked about them making six figures. It instead talked about them really creating a business that was in full alignment with their soul, with their experience and how they wanted to serve the world. So I think, again, I think all of those programs or the majority of them are well-intentioned. I think what's missing in a lot of them is that either A, they make lofty promises or B, they, they don't take into account the fact that there is a human running the business. And there is no, there is no way to run a business. There is no step-by-step cookie cutter thing to do. If there were, anybody would start a business and everybody would be successful. You have to take into account the fact that you as a human, your humanity, your beliefs, your philosophies, your personality, your view of the world plays a, a much bigger part in the success of your business than the modalities you've been trained in or in your expertise, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I know one of the things you've been focusing on with your latest program is basically setting yourself up so that you have no competition. You don't think in terms of being a commodity among all these other people. And one of the roadblocks I think that you've addressed so well is this, oh, so do I syndrome <laughs> that coaches fall into. So talk about that and how it is counterproductive when you're trying to establish yourself as not having competition. Yeah. And it's actually, so it's a slight, a slight shift on that. So I don't believe that there's no competition. There's, so what we do is, is we talk about people building competition proof businesses, right? So you have like a waterproof watch. It doesn't mean there's an absence of water. 
it means that even in the presence of water, the watch is going to operate perfectly fine. Perfect. Okay. So, so great. As opposed to a competition absent business. Yeah. It's Good distinction. Yeah, and, 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 I, yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up because that actually was something that I had to start sharing with people because they were thinking the same thing. So I love that you brought that up. So a competition proof business means that when you do lead with who you are, there, there is nobody that can really do exactly what you're doing in the way you're doing it because you bring a whole set of circumstances, a whole set of stories, a whole set of beliefs that are different than anybody else. And so the, as you were talking about the oh so do I business, we're trying to break people from the oh so do I syndrome, which is you meet somebody and say, what do you do? And they say, I'm a coach. And you say, oh, you coach? Oh, so do I. You have an online course? Oh, so do I. You speak on stages? Oh, so do I. And it just becomes this like cookie cutter thing where everybody's doing the same thing. So if we can't distinguish ourselves, or I guess I should take a step back, people are, are constantly trying to figure out how do I distinguish myself in the market? There's so many coaches, there's so many people doing this or that. How do I distinguish myself? And so they're trying to somehow stand out, yet there's kind of a base level set of modalities, understandings, whether you're a life coach or a business coach or a health coach or whatever you do, there aren't that many different ways to, to help people with transformation. And, and people like coaches and consultants and people like that that have really big egos, they hate when I say that because they go, no, my proprietary system is revolutionary. Like, well, it probably is to you, but it's based on fundamental principles that have been around way before any of us. I, I would never say that I've invented anything new. What I've been able to do is, is take what's worked for me, put whatever spin on it that I can, add in my expertise and my experience. But what's even more important than that is that the way I deliver it leverages and capitalizes on the ways that I know I best connect with people and that I know that I can open them up to the potential for transformation. So if you think about having a competition proof business, if people have a set of, of beliefs about me, if they see how I show up in the world, if they see the things that are quirky about me, if they see the things that, you know, that, that I activate in people, if they're into joy and playfulness and somebody with high energy and somebody that talks fast, if I'm standing there and I say, I have a three-step modality that's going to help you do X, Y, Z, and there's somebody standing right next to me and they have the exact same three-step modality that's going to take them from A to Z, but they have an entirely different personality, an entirely different spirit, and you resonate with the kind of energy and spirit that I have. If you look at the two of these, that person, even though they're my competition, I'm, I'm, I'm immune to them because there's no way the person standing in front of me that resonates with my energy and the way that I present things would go work with somebody else. They would only want to work with me. So, so that's why instead of it being what I think a lot of people think is that your business success is 90% contingent upon what you know and 10% contingent upon how you show up, I flip those around. It's 90% how you show up and 10% what you know. Uh, I think that's very important for people to really think about because there are so many coaches out there and it can be uh, discouraging to think, how do I stand out? So let's, let's drill down with that because I know you have three pillars that you talk about. And the first one that you have is one of my favorites because of who it's, uh, the quote reminds me of, uh, the turning pro, Stephen Pressfield oh. wrote a book with that title. And uh, he's written a number of nonfiction books around this whole idea of doing what you need to do if you're going to be a pro. Why do you feel that? Why is that your first pillar? 
Yeah, it's really important. There, there's in that first pillar, we teach things about you know business structure and making sure that you understand the the context for what you're doing and not just the content. Uh, because I remember when I started, I would have all these different things that I was doing. I'm going to do this group program, and I'm going to do one on ones, and I'm going to do intensives, and I'm going to do this course, and I'm going to do all these things. But I had no idea how they actually fit together. And so essentially, every one of these things was like running a different business. And so anytime I had a new thing, it was like I was starting a new business where I needed to find people to do that. And I needed, it was like, it was so chaotic to try to manage all that. And of course it wasn't effective. I wasn't actually getting people into any of the things and I was kind of dabbling. Uh, instead of focusing on mastery, I was, be, I was a dabbler. I was being a hacker trying to move, you know, put things together. So turning pro is really about understanding that the context of what you're offering is so much more important than the content of what you're offering. Really zooming out. Like if you take your phone and, and you open up like the map and you double tap and it like zooms out, I want to zoom out on the business and I want to say, okay, how do these things fit together? Because when I know how they fit together, then I know what's going to be a high yielding activity for me to focus on on a daily basis and a low yielding activity for me to focus on on a daily basis. If I have an hour to work on my business per day only, I want to know the highest yielding thing that I can do. And I can't know what that is if I'm not exactly sure of the landscape and the context of my business. So there, there's, a, there's a functional, practical, strategic part to that, but the bigger part to it is the mindset part, right? And turning pro is absolutely a mindset. And, and what I see so much, and I'm, are you an Enneagram person at all? Have you done the Enneagram? Uh, no. Okay, so I, I'm just kind of getting into it, so I'm not an expert by any means, but I, uh, but I did the Enneagram test and I was an Enneagram too. And I fight against these profiles so much because I'm like, oh, they're just like, they just put you in a box and they're like, they're so stupid. But I actually, I said, okay, I'm going to try it. I tried it. I'm like, wow, this one actually nailed me. So I'm a two. And what twos are is that they're helpers, right? They really, really want to help people. They really want to, uh, they, they want to serve. But the shadow side of that is that they can become people pleasers. And, and, and so they kind of just do things just to help people and, and, and they, they, they maybe are afraid to charge or they think it's like not okay to monetize what you're doing and, and, and they, they want to be like the mother Teresa or the father Terrence of, of the coaching industry instead of understanding that you accepting money for what you do is not only a professional thing for you to do as an exchange of, of value, just like you going to the grocery store and, and buying you know, produce or something. But if you really truly want to make a difference in the world sustainably long-term, unless you are independently wealthy or are able to live like a monk, you're going to have to have some way to bring money in. And so, so turning pro is really getting into that mindset of if you're a professional, you don't let things like, oh, but I love people and I'm passionate about serving and all these things. You don't let that get in the way of the fact that in order for you to do that long-term, you want to treat this like a, an actual profession and not like a hobby. So it's really important, I think, to do that right away, right in the beginning. That mindset piece is just at the core, isn't it, of so many things, how we think about ourselves, how we think about the work we do, the people we serve, um, just that whole, and there were some things you have inside that, that particular pillar. And one of the things I remember you're talking about was the idea of the comfort zone. You know, you have your genius zone, your comfort zone, the service zone. Um, and you make a point that's sort of uh, at odds with what we hear every day, which is get out of your comfort zone, you know, stretch. You have advocated staying in your comfort zone. So I want to hear you talk a little bit more about why, why do you say that? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. People that beat their chest every morning and jump into ice baths of water don't like that I say stay in your comfort zone. But, but I love that you brought that up and I'll explain it. So what you were mentioning there is we have this a three-part system that we believe or, or a three-part framework that we believe helps you to figure out your particular system for your business. Because again, remember, it's not cookie cutter. It's, there's not one way. You have to figure out your own system. But we have this framework and it's, it's composed of, it's the, basically the intersection of your genius zone, your service zone, and your comfort zone. So we can, we can talk about them if you want, but the comfort zone in particular, there's, there's so much uncertainty and there's so much um, ambiguity and there's so much uh, perceived maybe scarcity or volatility or whatever it is when you start any business. I don't care if it's an ice cream shop or it's a coaching and consulting business. There's all kinds of things that are going on. Why do I want to add another layer of complexity and, and ambiguity and uncertainty and volatility in the way that I connect with people to potentially build my business. So when I say don't get out of your comfort zone, at some point, yes, you're gonna be doing things you've never done before. In fact, the majority of your business is things you've never done before. So when I say to stay in your comfort zone, I mean that specifically in the context of how you connect with people. And, and so and the, 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 the best analogy or the best metaphor that, that I can think of for this is if you are a professional baseball pitcher, right? Let's say you're a pitcher in the major leagues. And your goal is to make it to the World Series this year and to win the World Series. That's all you care about. That is your number one focus. And you are a right-handed pitcher. And they bring in a brand new pitching coach to help you to become world-class and win the World Series. Do you think that pitching coach is going is to say, let's work on your left hand? Why would I do that? My, I'm right-handed. Let's make my right arm as strong as humanly possible. Let's put all of my attention and my sincerity on making my right arm the most masterful right arm that has ever thrown a baseball 100 miles an hour you know, to, to, to the home plate. So for me, it's the same thing. It's instead of getting out of my comfort zone and saying, you know what? I, I really, I don't feel comfortable going to networking events. I don't feel comfortable cold calling. I don't feel comfortable doing these things. Well, get out of your comfort zone. Like pick up the phone and do it. Why? am I going to be in the energy to really serve people if I'm so caught up in my anxiety around doing something that feels that uncomfortable that I can't really connect with them? No, there are very, very prevalent, very simple ways that we connect as human beings with each other when we're not being coaches or consultants looking for clients, right? Like when I'm in line at Starbucks to get a coffee, I don't think to myself, okay, what's, what, how should I open this conversation? And what would be the most powerful question for me to ask? And what, what if they give me an objection? How do <laughs> It's just a human being. And so I'm just connecting human to human, right? So yeah. everybody has that. For some people, it's, you know what? Every time they go to their CrossFit gym, they end up having deep and meaningful conversations with five of the people they work out with. Uh, for me, I love social media and I realize that I, I love the spoken word and I love technology and being able to send like voice messages to people. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to start reaching out to people that I care about or people that I see on social media that have had some big win or some big celebration in their life and just send them a quick message and say, hey, just saw that little Johnny went to first grade. I can't believe he's already six. This is insane. Like, what are you up to now that, that he's going off to school? And just talk like a human. And, and the more we can do that, the more we can focus on connection instead of conversion, right? The more we can focus on conversation instead of trying to turn somebody into a client, the faster our business will grow. It may, may sound counterintuitive, but that is actually a very pro thing to do. I, I love that. And I agree 100% because I think too often we think, okay, now I have to put on this hat. So we have to suddenly transform into something we're not. And that does create a lot of anxiety and stress. And yeah. so what to me, what you're suggesting is identify what your strong suit is now 
when you connect naturally with other people and how can you use that or apply that same approach or, or method or just way of being with these other potential clients that you may be interacting with. It's interesting you're talking about social media too, um, because I know that for you has been a major way that you have connected with people and built your tribe, which is another element I wanted to uh, talk to you about because that you really have this pillar of three T's and you know, one of them is the turning pro. This other one though of the tribe, talk a little bit about how should someone think about what is a tribe and how do I create one? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that question. And so, yeah, so the social media is, is something I love and it's something that I love to do. And it's something that we, we actually don't, I mean, even though we, we do a lot of stuff on social media, we don't say or advocate that the only way for you to build a successful coaching or consulting business is to, is to do it through social media. What we advocate is in this day and age, uh, we're in the connection economy, right? We got through the industrial economy. We actually already got through the information economy. We're in the connection economy. And so what I wanted to figure out for myself and what I want everybody who, who works with me or doesn't work with me, I want everybody to find out for themselves is, is where can you be creating connection? Where can you be creating intimacy? That can happen online or offline. So this is by no means, if you're not on social media, you know, posting seven times a day and doing webinars, you're not going to be successful. That's stupid. We've had people that have gone through our program that I'm not sure have ever posted a single thing on social media, even though we teach them how to do that. And they, they hit their first 20K month because they focused on intimacy. They focus on how do I get out in the world and create intimacy with people. And that's really what a tribe is, right? When you're creating a tribe, you're creating a, a level of, of resonance and relevance and relationships with people out in the world, right? So we have the three R's that we talk about when, when we talk about creating content online, is that the content should be relevant to the people that you wanna serve. It should resonate with them, meaning that you've shared it in a way where it actually touches them, where they take whatever universal principles you're sharing and make it very personal to themselves, and that it should help to facilitate creating relationships with people. That can be on or offline. So, so tribe building really is a series of, and tribe building can be one-to-one. -one. You meet somebody at a networking event and you create some intimacy by, by having good questions and, and having a great conversation. Or it can be created kind of more en masse uh, doing it online. There's no one that's better than the other. So, so the key here is though, how can I leverage uh, my, my, again, my abilities to connect to create intimacy with my audience? Because when we are doing coaching and consulting, we're not selling number two pencils. We're not selling, you know, water bottles or whatever. Like we're not selling commodities. We're selling an intimate relationship. So the same way if I cooked a, an Asian inspired dish, I would use Asian inspired ingredients. If I'm trying to sell an intimacy based service, I should start with intimacy base and my connection. So it's just asking yourself, how do I create the experience that they're going to have in coaching, which is safety, intimacy, uh, connection before they ever pay me? And that's how your tribe is built. Now, one thing about a tribe that I want to say as well, and it's something that I'm a huge, huge proponent of, is that a lot of people uh, ask, how do I build my tribe? Right? Like, how do I build a tribe? And that was a question I asked so much in the beginning, and I did all this research, and I tried to see, like, you know, how do you, how do you figure out, like, what's the hack, and how do you hack the algorithm to, like, build a tribe, and, and all these other things that I was trying to do, copying other people. And then I realized you actually don't build a tribe. Uh, you, your tribe already exists. You just have to raise your hand and let them know you're there and they'll, they'll kind of congregate around you, right? Everybody's looking for somebody to be a leader in their lives. 
So the, the, the metaphor I use for this is, did you ever watch the TV show Lost, Meredith? Were you a Lost no, fan? No, I didn't. Yeah, and that's how it is with everybody. Everybody I ask that question to, I get one of two responses. I either get, no, I never watched it, or oh my God, that's the greatest show ever. There's very few people that are like, yeah, I watched a couple seasons and didn't get into it. It's one or the other, right? Either they, they hate it or have never heard of it or never watched it, or they absolutely love it. So if I walk into a networking event and I'm trying to figure out like, oh man, like how do I talk to people? What do I say to them? How do I create connection? If I stood up on a chair in a networking event, and you should all try this, and if you do it, make sure somebody videos it and tag me on Instagram because I want to see it. But if I were to go to a networking event and stand up on a chair and raise my hand and say, anybody else in here love the TV show Lost? Is anybody else like a huge Lost fan? Guaranteed there would be a pocket of people, a group of people that would be like, oh my God, Lost is the greatest show ever. We're a tribe. Done. It's done. They'll come over to me. We have a common language. We have a common philosophy. We have a common lens on the world. And we have skipped all the surface level crap and, and dove directly into intimacy and rapport. So when you're trying to build a tribe, all you need to get clear on, in my opinion, in my experience, is what matters to you. What do you stand for? What do you put a stake in the ground for? What is it that you can't tolerate to see happening in the world? What's your vision for humanity or for your industry or for whatever? Like sharing that stuff openly. And when you raise your hand and say, this is what I believe in, this is my mission on the planet, other people will say, oh, thank goodness somebody's finally saying it. I've been looking for somebody else that thinks the same thing as me and the tribe is created. So that's how I've been building my tribe is focusing on just self-expression and sharing what I care about finding my weirdos is what I call them, my weirdos, and then nurturing my weirdos. And so I've built my entire business on finding my weirdos and nurturing my weirdos. <laughs> well, and you know, it's so true because your videos are just so real and authentic. Uh, you know, they, they grab you because you're not trying to pretend this is your guru speaking, you know, the, the life wisdom. It's, gosh, I really had this terrible experience and here's what I took away from it or here's what I've been feeling and here's what I did to get out of it. So it's showing your humanness, which I think is really important. And the other thing you didn't mention, but I believe absolutely is true, is not only are you attracting your unique weird people, <laughs> you're repelling those that do not resonate with you. So you're not wasting your time or theirs trying to convince them that they would be a good fit with you. So yeah. to me, what you're saying is that the more you allow your unique elements to shine, the more you're going to draw to you the people that resonate with that. But if you try to be vanilla, it you're, you're not really going to pull anybody in or repel anybody because you don't stand out. Yeah, it, it's so true. And, and, and I, I love that you said that. It's such a powerful insight. I love you, especially since you use the word convincing. Like, I never want to convince anything of, anybody of anything. I think it's a Dale Carnegie quote, uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Yeah. Right? So I never want to be in the convincing game at all. I want to be in the connection game. And so, and so I love that you said that. And, and, and one thing I, I know that I hear a lot, and so I know that you have people who are also not like just life or health coaches. Maybe they, they feel like they're not as much in the soft skill arena, but more in the hard skill arena. Maybe they're business consultants or things like that. And they would say, okay, there's no way I'm sharing about my personal humanity and philosophy. This is a B2B thing. This is, there's no place for that. And, and that may have been the case in the past. But even for you, if you're in that, that space, it's happening. Um, we've seen so many examples. We had a woman in, in one of our programs who uh, strictly B2B, she just focuses on LinkedIn, that's her thing. And typically when she posts content on LinkedIn, she would get two to three comments max, 
five to six likes max. And that was it. And that was what she was posting. And that was fine. We helped her get really clear on her story. And her story was a very intimate one. This is about her going from being, you know, a, a college educated person in another country to coming here and having to take part-time jobs in a call center. Uh, because her, her degree didn't transfer over and just the, the despair that she faced in that and her triumph, her story of resilience to work through that. She posted that and within a week, it had 10,000 views, it had 50 shares, it had 700 comments, and it had something like a thousand likes and reactions and all this stuff on a business platform. People reaching out to her left and right saying, your story's my story, essentially using different words, your story's my story. And so for anybody who thinks from a B2B perspective, this doesn't work, I have a, an amazing epiphany that I want to share with you is that businesses do not buy from you. Humans inside of businesses buy from you. So if you're connecting human to human, even when you're connecting B2B, it's also huge. I, I just got hired to go speak at an $80 billion hospital system. And the reason they found me was because another one of my clients shared my book in his newsletter and the COO of this company read it and resonated with my story. And so she reached out to have me come in. It wasn't my accolades and it wasn't my expertise, at least not initially. That's the 10% at the end. But that first 90% was, this is the kind of human that I want my people to be exposed to. That's great. Those are wonderful stories. Going back to the person who posted on LinkedIn, was that a video or an article or what form did the, the information take? It was just written. It was a, it was a written text-based post. Yeah. And some people will take that because that's, we have a process we take people through in our, in our competition for a business academy uh, called the BAMO. Uh, and BAMO is a framework we've created for you to get your origin story out into the world in a way that really shares your mission and gets people on board with the mission. And some people will share that in video form, but most people share it in written form. And that's what she shared was just the written version of that. And she was so scared to, oh my God, the courage she had just to hit submit on that, even if nobody liked it or commented or anything, she transformed just because she was willing to share that story publicly. But it was a nice little added benefit that it did pick up so much traction. That's fabulous. I love that. In fact, I wanted to ask you about some other examples of people who have followed your principles, but I want to just touch real quickly on that third T, the, the teachings. And you mentioned especially this phrase, the hangout factor. And I wanted you to just talk to that a little bit, because I think that's important for people to, you know, wrap their head around what is that and how can I apply that to attract and keep clients? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so we call that the Hoff, the hangout factor, uh, not to be confused with David Hasselhoff, a different Hoff. Uh, but, but the Hoff, the hangout factor is really, that's one of the biggest differentiate, differentiators for you in your business, because we are as human beings, uh, like it or not, and for better or for worse, we are empathy machines. And as an empathy machine, what that actually means in the real world is that every time we meet somebody, we are assessing them in a split second to say, are you like me or are you not like me? And if you're like me, I'm going to stick around and just see what you're up to and see if you resonate. If you're not like me, I'm gone. Like there's nothing you can say. That's what they always say. You can't say the wrong thing to the right person and you can't say the right thing to the wrong person. Mm -hmm. They go immediately. That empathy machine inside of us knows within a split second. And you know this. You'll meet somebody at a networking event and you'll be like, I don't know what it is about that person. Like I just, I want to have a beer with them or I would love to like go hang out at a baseball game or, or have a glass of wine or you don't have no idea why there's nothing about what they said necessarily that somebody else couldn't have said or, or maybe didn't say, but you don't connect them in the same way or the people you sit across from that have a great smile and they seem really energetic, but you're like, eh, there's something about that guy. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I can be around that person for more than 10 minutes at a time. So the hangout factor is not something you manufacture. It's something that you, you uncover. It's something that you become aware of. 
everybody already has a hangout factor. That's why you have people around you that want to hang out with you outside of business, right? Your yeah. friends don't hang out with you because they've been contractually obligated to do so. They do it because there's something about the way you show up that adds value and joy to their life. So what I want to do is, is I want to make sure that I'm injecting that into how I'm showing up in the world wherever possible whether it's on stage or it's at a networking event or it's in my content online or videos or whatever it is, I want to make sure it's a part of that. And again, another, another example of this, and it's actually something I, I'm thinking about my next book being around this because I love, I just, I really geek out on, as you can probably tell the, the philosophy of real connection and intimacy in marketing. I, I hate that marketing has gotten such a bad language, bad term and marketing and sales are not the same thing either. Marketing is it, to me is awareness and it's real service to people in the world. So they have the chance to improve their lives or they have the chance to have access to working with you to improve their lives either way. And, and so what happened was we had this one woman, again, this happens to be a LinkedIn person. We don't have a ton of people that are, that are focusing primarily on LinkedIn, but she, she's a, a innovation consultant, innovation strategist. For mainly for startups and, and for pre-revenue or, or seed round level uh, companies. And she would share this stuff on LinkedIn and man, she had great content. Like I would read her content. I'm like, that is so smart. That's really like valuable. I'm reading it saying we need to do some of that. Like in our business, that's really smart. Right. And yet she was getting no traction. And, and I, and I, and in reading the stuff, I went back to her and because she was in our group program and I was, you know, being able to see her and coach her in our group calls, I was like, man, you have so much personality and none of that is in what you're sharing. I, I don't get you at all in that. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, anybody in the world could have posted what you posted and I would have gotten the same thing out of it. But that also means that if anybody else could have posted it, we're back in the oh so do I you know, realm again, the oh so do I arena. And so I asked her, I said, what's something that you just really enjoy? Like just enjoy, I didn't give her any context. Like what's something you really enjoy? And she thought about it for a minute and she said, uh, I really like Whole Foods pizza. I'm like, Oh, okay. Whole foods pizza. What, what, what's up with whole foods? She's like, I don't know. It just feels healthy and it's, it's a good price and I can just go in the store and pick it up and take it home. It's, just, it's delicious. I just love whole food pizza. And I said, cool. We want to integrate that into your content. We want people to know that you like whole foods pizza. And she goes, why? How does that have anything to do with my business? And I said, well, think about it this way. People are scrolling through LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and they see content pop up from all these different people. And if they don't know you, if they don't feel like they know you at all at a human level, then it could be a robot that's just auto-populating and auto-posting stuff all day. And you're just, it's just a bunch of robots posting, posting, posting. But here's one thing to remember. Robots don't eat pizza. So as soon as you start sharing things about your life, things that you care about, things you like, people immediately say, oh, this is not just some random piece of content that anybody could have posted. There's actually a human on the other side of the screen. They see you in their minds typing this thing out. They see you kind of thinking about how it is you wanted to share your message. They see you working with people one-on-one -on -one in their mind or in groups or however you work using the principles you're sharing in your content. But anchoring that in with real things about who you are as a human makes them understand, oh, that's a real person and I want to work with a real person. So what happened? So yeah, so, so she started putting that stuff in and she, and she blew it up. It was so fun. Like the stuff she's put in is, I got to go check her out. Actually, she graduated our program about six months ago. I need to go look at her content now, but she started posting things in there where she was talking about like funny arguments she used to have with her sisters about things when they were kids and like all these little things. And then a lot of times she was able to relate that back into what it is she was sharing. That was a business lesson. Now it may not always be that way. It may be something where she's sharing a piece of content and she says, you know, last night while I was enjoying my favorite in the world, world pepperoni pizza from Whole Foods. I had this framework pop in my head that I think can help anybody who's looking to get funding for their project. 
that's fine. It doesn't have to be connected to the message. But even that brief, brief mention makes people think like, oh, I've, I've had pizza before and had some random epiphany pop in my head. That increases your hangout factor. And so that's why people want to want to spend more time with you. That's great. Well, I love those two examples. And I just noticed we're really out of time. I'm so sorry because so quick. Fabulous. I know we could talk for hours. I'll have to have you back for another edition. But for now, I know that with all the energy you've shown and the great uh, tips and ideas you've shared, people will want to know more. So tell them how they can learn more about you and, and get more information. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if anybody wants to kind of dive deeper into the things I've talked about here, I wrote a, a really fun ebook. It's called How to Build a Competition-Proof Coaching Business. And, and I'm sure Meredith will give you the link in the show notes. It's, it's pretty simple. Yes. You go to becompetitionproof.com, like B-E, like become, becompetitionproof.com, and you can download the guide for free. It's 36 pages. It's pretty in-depth. It's, it's not a sales pitch. You know, one no, it's pitch. excellent. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really happy that, that it was helpful. And I've heard from so many people who have said, wow, just from reading this, I've already implemented what's in there and it's made a difference. And for me, and I know this is the same for you, Meredith, and that's why we're connected. You just care about serving and, and about making an impact for people. And so my goal in writing that thing is that if we never, ever talk again, we, I never see you, we never work together, that you get massive value out of that guide and you apply it in your life. So I would love if you download that. I would love it even more if you actually apply the stuff in your world and, uh, and keep me posted and let me know how that works for you. Well, one last thing. I know you have a group on Facebook and I want to invite people to join that because you're constantly posting your own videos, your own lessons. It's like free inspiration on a regular basis. So let them know what the name of that group is. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. So it's, it's called behind the scenes of a competition proof business. And so my commitment to that group is that myself and my team, because I, I want you to get everybody that's in my world that has different insights. People on my team are geniuses at things that I suck at. So I want everybody to come in. And so three times a week, we go in there and do Facebook lives and train and, and teach you things on mindset and methodologies to help build yourself up as a professional coach and, and also to grow your business and also have a lot of fun at the same time. So the Facebook lives are always fun. They're always high energy. Uh, it's a completely free group and we'd love to have you join that. We have almost 2000 people now in the group and we'd love to have you in there. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much, JG. I value you so much as a human being, as a coach, as someone that's really, you know, making a, a true positive impact in the world on so many people. So I appreciate your being with me today. It's my pleasure, Meredith. Keep doing the amazing work you're doing in the world, supporting all the coaches and consultants you're supporting and happy to serve in any way that I can. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.